0: All right, well, I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're continuing in uh, our study of the book of Thessalonians and continuing to look at that. And so, as we look at this and uh, continue to uh, examine what it is that the apostle Paul had to say to the church of Thessalonica, we're still looking here uh, at First Thessalonians chapter three, beginning in verse twelve. We're still looking at the prayer uh, that we looked at last week. So, as we're reminded in the Word of God last week, we looked at the fact that uh, the apostle Paul started praying for the church, and he started the prayer uh, of what we looked at last week—that uh, that God would open up a door for him to be able to come to them, whereas that door uh, was closed shut, it wasn't a possibility at that time, and we look at the fact that God made possible at that time, uh, was impossible. But when we look at this prayer, it really starts in verse 11, but when we look at this prayer, we find uh, that here it is, the Apostle Paul is praying for three very specific things. First of all, that, we, that God would open up that door for them to come, to be able to minister to them. Secondly, as we're going to look at this morning, Uh, that the church themselves, that the believers there would be a church of love, amen, that they would have love for one another and they would have love for everyone else. And that secondly, or thirdly rather, uh, as we are going to look at at a later day, that they would be, uh, that their hearts would be established uh, uh, and and blameless and holy uh, before the Lord God so that they would be holy. And so really in all three three of these things, remember uh, the apostles. Apostle Paul wanted to come to them for the purpose of establishing them, for the purpose of investing in them all the more, and then as we're going to look at today, uh, he prayed for them to have love and to grow in that love, and then also to be holy and blameless before the Lord. So though he prayed for three very specific things that we find right there in the Word of God, what he was really praying for was for spiritual growth amongst the believers, amen, spiritual growth amongst the churches, you know today we have and we have, we've had for decades really so much focus on church growth and we, we've had all this talk about church growth and, and, and don't get me wrong church growth is important physical growth of the church is important but what, what, what we find emphasized here in the word of God as well as spiritual growth amen we need that spiritual growth amongst each individual believer I need to be spiritually growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ you need to be spiritually growing within. In your relationship with jesus christ and so when we begin to look at this we begin to recognize you know uh that that if we're not growing spiritually then we're stagnant and you know and we don't need to be stagnant in our relationship with jesus christ and so it's important that we pray for one another it's important that you pray for yourself god allow me to grow spiritually god allow me to grow in my walk with you if you know that you're stagnant you know god allow me to get out of this rut that I am in. Vance Habner, a, a, a wonderful Baptist preacher from years uh, gone by, he'd always say, you know what a rut is? He said, it's only a uh, it's only a grave with the ends kicked out on both sides. And so that's, that's all it really is. And so we need to get out of that rut. We need to grow spiritually. We need to pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. We need to lift them up before the Lord that they would grow spiritually, that they would blossom, that they would grow within their walk in of the Lord and so here it is that we come to this particular text of scripture 1st Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning in verse 12 we find here in the word of God the apostle Paul said well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and begin in verse 11. He says, now, may our God and Father himself and Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do For you, And so he's saying this, that, that, you know, just as we do for you, we want you to increase and abound in your love. He says, uh, just as we do in you, the same love that you have seen from us, that same sacrificial love that you've seen from us, as we've come to you, as we uh, have invested in you, as we sacrificed ourselves for you, as we put ourselves literally in danger for you, and as we have come to you in in, in great hardship that has been a very costly endeavor for them to come and now we long to see you again we want to come back to see you again so we're willing to put ourselves out for you you've seen that love from us in a very real sense and now we want you to walk in that exact same kind of love amen we want you to be the fullness of what Jesus wants you to be now later on we're going to talk about you know having our hearts established and living in holiness and blamelessness before God but the reality is, is if we don't have love within our heart, if we don't have the true love of Jesus Christ within our heart, we're not going to be blameless. We're not going to be holy. We're not going to grow spiritually. We're not going to be the men and the women that God wants us to be because we have to have that love within our heart. That love is going to be what motivates us, what moves us, what encourages us, what sustains us. And so when we begin to recognize that and understand, you know, love Love is one of the most evident virtues of a Christian uh, that we find within the Word of God. It's one of the most evident virtues of a Christian that we find. We find it all over Scripture that as we begin to look at this and understand that as a Christian, love ought to be the picture that we present and portray to the whole world. Amen? Love. That, That we love one another, first of all. How many of you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm not going to that church (laughs) because, you know, not, not only do they not like me, they don't even like one another. Amen? They don't even like each other. You know, as, an, uh, as a former evangelist, I've been in a lot of churches. I've been, uh, I've preached in a whole lot of churches. And I tell you what, you step into church sometimes and I mean, you feel the tension just as soon as you step in, amen? I mean, you feel, uh, it's like you, you you get frozen as soon as you walk through the door. It is cold as ice in there. And I've been in churches before where not a single person is talking to another person. I mean, they don't even wanna make eye contact. And so I, I walked in there where you know nobody, Nobody's talking to me. Nobody, you know, the uh, introducing themselves to me. They don't know who I am. I'm there to preach that day. my first time walk through the door. They don't have a clue who I am. And so they're not, you know, they're not even showing love towards me, but they're not showing love towards each other as well. And you know, if I'm a lost person that walks into that church and that's the very first thing I see, I might sit there through the remainder of that service, but I'm going to walk out of those doors and i will say, I'm not going back there again. Amen. Now, I praise God we don't have that problem here. In fact, uh, this, this is a very loving church, a very receptive church, a very welcoming and warm church, uh, especially those who, who are uh, coming in and visiting and praise God for that because that is is uh, that that is a testimony to them of who we are as a church, but it is a virtue that ought to be evident within, within us, not just here, but everywhere we go, amen? So love one another and love everyone else as well we see uh, that that is exactly what Paul is saying right here. He said, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. And so when we understand that and we recognize that it is a christian character it is a christian life that those who are saved those who are born again ought to have that love within them because that love is a supernatural love it's not something you can fake it's not something that you could pretend you know you've been around people before they're acting like they like you and they have that fake smile on their face and they have that fake welcoming in their tongue and you know you, you're looking at them and you're like well they're just you know they're they're a, they're a good politician. amen <laughs> they, they just want you vote that, that's about it and, and so they don't really care about you they're not really concerned to, about your life and what's going on they're just kind of faking through this thing, and so we we can see that written all over folks sometimes, and you know, sometimes we might be having a bad day, and sometimes we might even do it, but you know, when that's the consistency of somebody's life, but what ought to be the consistency of a Christian's life is love, amen, love, love for one another, and love for everyone else. It is love that we have, and here it is, the Apostle Paul said, he's praying for the church of Thessalonica to have love within it. So if that's something that he's praying to God about that the church would have within itself, it's something I believe is extraordinarily important that we take seriously as Christians that we're going to walk in that love. Now, I want you to understand there's folks that I've met throughout life that are, you know, kind of have rough and gruff exteriors and they kind of come across as though they're a a, a rough individual, a tough individual, but boy, they've got a heart of gold and they have a, you know, a heart of love and compassion within them, even though on the outside they they might look kind of rough and rugged. Amen? But they still have that, uh, you know, heart of love and that heart of compassion within them. And so that's not about what what we look like, and what we portray on the outside. You know, and it's not even about words in which we speak. True love brings about action. Amen? That's where true love comes about. It brings about action. And so it's showing it not by the words that are coming out of our mouth, but by our feet, by our hands, by our actions, by the things in which we do. That's how we portray that Christian love. But that Christian love comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where it comes from. It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't have that Christ-like love unless we have Christ, unless we have that personal relationship with him. As a matter of fact, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. The Bible says right there, it says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God. To love one another. Now he's praying to God that they would increase in their love, but now he's saying that the way, very way in which you, are, uh, you learn how to grow in that love, you're taught by God. You're taught by God. And that's the only way that we could surely have that love towards one another is if we have Jesus within our heart. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14 tells us, it says this, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life. In other words, we're saved. Amen. We've passed out of death into life. We're saved. We're born again. We're no longer that old person, but we're the new person. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Who's the brethren? That's the church. That's our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We love brethren. The brethren, he who does not love, abides in death. That's some pretty serious words right there, isn't it? One of the ways in which the Bible says that you could have evidence, in fact, I, you know, about a year or so ago, I preached a series of messages through this, uh, through First John, and so one of those evidences of whether or not we're truly born again is whether or not we have a love for the brethren, whether or not we have a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether or not we have a love for the church. And when I'm talking about a love for the church, I'm not talking about brick and mortar. I'm not talking about a piece of property or address. I'm talking about us, the people, the men and women of God. That's who we ought to have a love for. Amen? And so when we look at this and begin to think about this, I hear people say all the time, you know, it's a, a very common thing that people say, oh, I'm not going to church, there's too many hypocrites in church. Well, you know, that, that tells me that, that it's not so much the fact that there's hypocrites within the church that is your problem, it's the fact that you don't have the love of Jesus Christ within your heart to look at that person and say, even though they may be a hypocrite, I'm still going to love them. Amen? I'm still going to love them. Guess what? There are hypocrites in the church. I'm hypocritical sometimes. You're hypocritical sometimes. Every one of us are hypocritical sometimes. Don't mean that we just cast one another to the side and say you're no good, you're useless. Praise God. Jesus still loves us. He loved us all enough to go to the cross to die for us. Amen? And so when we look at this text of Scripture and begin to recognize these truths, begin to recognize these facts that that, that we find within the Word of God, not only is love found here uh, within this text of Scripture as being uh, something that is from God, here it is. Notice the Apostle Paul's prayer in verse 12. He says, now, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. May the Lord do this. You know, we can't cause ourselves to grow in love. Amen? We can't cause ourselves to grow in love. We can't cause cause ourselves to abound in love. This is an act of God. This is an act of God, and we talk about forgiveness sometimes. You know, and and the importance of forgiveness And the Bible uh, very clearly tells us to forgive one another. Forgive others just as it's been forgiven you, Right? But you know, a true act of forgiveness is also an act of God. Because you're never going to love somebody enough to forgive somebody unless God does a work within your heart, unless God does a work within your heart to be able to love that person enough to forgive them. Amen? That's an act of God. That is a movement of God, and that again is why prayer is so important. We pray for one another, we pray for each other, and continually lift one another up before the Lord. And we pray for ourselves. Maybe you know that you have a lack of love within your heart. Maybe you know that you have a root of bitterness that is raising up within your heart. Well, if you know that, then you need to be praying about it. Amen. You need to be putting that before the throne and praying, God, remove this from me, God. I'm I know it's a stumbling block within my life. God, I know that I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to mature. I'm not going to be the man or the woman that you so desire for me to be until this is removed from my life, until uh, this comes out. And God, you're the only one that can do it. Amen? You're the only one that can do that. And so when we begin to understand and recognize this fact, we want, I want you to know something, that love is a command of God. We can't do it apart from the act of God and the work of God within our life, but it's a command of God. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter thirteen, verse eight, it says right here, "Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Don't owe anybody anything except to love one another. That's something we owe them. In other words, for he who loves has fulfilled the law. We also find here in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15, it says right here, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the whole law fulfilled in, he said in this one statement? What is that one statement? Love. That one word, that one statement, love. And so as we look at this, say, well, that, that's what, the whole law is fulfilled in. So where in the world does the Apostle Paul get that idea from? Where in the world does the Apostle Paul get that thought from uh, that, that the whole law is based in that one statement, love your neighbor as yourself? Well, he gets it directly from Jesus he gets it from Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we find here uh, that there's a, uh, some Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trip Jesus up. So they're asking Jesus all of these difficult questions. They're trying to uh, find a reason to accuse him. If he doesn't answer correctly, then they're going to say, oh, you're a blasphemer. You're, you're, you're somebody that uh, isn't saying things that are exactly the way that they ought to be said. And so, you know, you're a false teacher. We're not going to listen to you. Nobody can listen to you. But Jesus masterfully answered every single one of them. And so in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse verse 34, the Bible says right here, but when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. In other words, they said, let's see how we, we let's see if we can do better than the Sadducees. Let, let's try to come up with our own scheme and our own way of trying to trip Jesus up. And so they asked him, one of them asked him in verse 35, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment? That's the question. Teacher, showing respect. Right? At least he's pretending like he's showing respect. Teacher, oh, masterful teacher, wonderful teacher. How great and wonderful that you are. Let us, humble servants of yours, know what's the greatest commandment. It was just a trick, and Jesus knew this. But Jesus gave them this answer. He answered the question. He tells them in verse 37, he says, He says to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. What does it mean to love God with all of your heart, and all of your soul, and with all of your mind? It means to love God with every bit of who you are. Amen? Every bit of who you are. He didn't end it there. He said this is the great and foremost commandment. So that's the greatest commandment. That was the answer to his question right there. What's the greatest commandment? That's it. Love God with everything you have. Right? Right? Where to get that from? From the Father came out of, straight out of Deuteronomy chapter six, and then he goes on. He didn't stop there. And he says in verse thirty nine, he says the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On well, these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now the Pharisees were gathered together, and they asked Jesus questions. So they continued to ask him. But it's interesting that he says right here, all of the law and all of the prophets rest on these two. Well, what does that mean? Basically, the whole Old Testament rests on those two things right there. Love God with everything that you are, heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor just like yourself. Whole law. By the way, who's your neighbor? Jesus answered that question with the the Good Samaritan. By the way, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were the lowest form of life on the earth. And he was the hero of that story. He answered that question. Everybody's your neighbor. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Amen? Love everybody. Love your enemy. Jesus also said that. And so when we look at this, we recognize here that that, that the word of God very clearly teaches us that we are to love. Love our neighbor. We're to love our enemy. We're to love everybody in between. We're to love everyone. Certainly we're to love the church. But Paul also says to love everyone. Not just yourselves. Verse 12 And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. It's easy to love people that are like you, isn't it? They're like you. They have the same ideals as you. They have the same values of you. They have the same goals as you. They have the same mindset as you. They believe just like you. Well, you're basically loving yourself, aren't you? Amen. When those who are drastically different than you—maybe they're kind of weird, maybe they're down in the gutter, down in the dumps, maybe they are the worst, despicable sinner that this world has ever seen. Guess what? We're still supposed to love them. Amen. Now, it doesn't mean we accept their ways and all the things that we do because God doesn't accept our ways when we're in sin and the things that we do when we're in sin, but He still loved us. He still loves us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen. Now, the world wants us to say that, oh, since we, you know, God tells us to love everybody, then we're to accept everybody just the way they are. No, that's, that's not all oh, what the Bible teaches. You know, June is Pride Month. Even though the Bible condemns pride probably more than any other sin <laughs> within the Word of God, it's Pride Month, Right? And so when we look at that, you know, the Bible is extraordinarily clear that God created them male and female. There there should be absolutely no question about that whatsoever. God created them male and female. There should be absolutely no question whatsoever that God's intention of marriage is that one man marry one woman and they shall be together until death do them part, right? Right? extraordinarily clear the intent of God when it comes to marriage, the intent of God when it comes to relationship. Very clear. There is no doubt anybody that denies that that is what the Word of God teaches is a false teacher. They are a liar. They are simply ignoring the extraordinarily plain truth. They're willingly ignorant. That's what the Bible calls willingly ignorant. Of these truths. The Bible calls homosexuality an abomination. For a man to be with a man as a man to be with a woman is an abomination unto the Lord. The Bible is extraordinarily clear about that truth. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of, our, of God. The Bible tells us that. In that same exact verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, it also tells us that adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it's interesting in John chapter 8 that they brought a woman, called in the very act, the very act of adultery, they brought that woman to Jesus And as they brought that woman to Jesus, they laid her down at the feet of Jesus, said, Jesus, we caught her in the very act. And the law of Moses said, Where's a stone, this woman? Okay. Well, if you caught her in the very act, where's the man? (laughs) He, He had to have been there too if you caught her in the very act of it. They weren't concerned about justice. They weren't concerned about what's right and what was wrong. They were concerned about tripping Jesus up. And Jesus wasn't concerned about them. He was concerned about her. Why? Because he loved her. He said, he who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. Now, the law of Moses did say to stone him, to, to stone her. They were right. That's what the law said. Absolutely. But here it was. Jesus wanted to give her grace. Amen. They all left. Guess what? The only one remaining was without sin. Where are all of your accusers, Jesus said? Where'd they all go? They left. Jesus could have stoned her. He was without sin. He said, neither do I accuse you. You see what the world wants to stop it right there. Oh, Jesus forgave the woman that was caught in adultery which is equivalent to those who are living in homosexuality uh, according to scripture right, there's really no difference between the two when we find uh, the two that are in that exact same verse right there within scripture the same as those who are uh, you know, uh, having sexual relations outside of marriage all three of those are in, bumped into that very same group and so there it is we forget about that part though and so there it is that Jesus Jesus had this woman caught in adultery in the very act of it. He could have stoned her. He could have condemned her right then and there. And the world says, well, let her go about her merry own way and let her continue to do what she was in the process of doing, live life how she wants to live. But what did Jesus say? He said, go and sin no more. I showed you grace. I showed you mercy. I showed you love. Now go and sin no more. Now that you've seen that, now that you know that, now that you've experienced that, now that you have lived through that, you ought to be dead right now, but instead of showing you grace, I'm showing you mercy, I'm showing you love. Now take that and go and sin no more. The world wants to tell us today that if we say that homosexuality is sin, oh, you're being judgmental. No, I'm not being judgmental. I'm being biblical. Because the word of God, Rusty Kuhn didn't say that homosexuality is sin. God said that homosexuality is sin. But I ought to be saying it not for the purpose of squashing you and throwing rocks at you, but for the purpose of showing you grace, showing you mercy, showing you love, pointing you to the person of Jesus Christ so that you can get to that point to where you will go and sin no more. You know, the Bible tells us 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6 says, Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. So if you love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth. Amen? If you truly love somebody and you know that sin leads to death, sin period, leads to death, and you don't call out repent, you don't truly love. Amen? Amen? Because even Jesus said, the very one who told us to love, the very one that said to love our neighbor just as we love ourselves, even Jesus said, repent or you shall all likewise perish. Because the message of repentance is the message of love. Oh well, yeah, there are some that don't say it out of love. There are some that say it out of we want to tear you down. We want to show you how filthy, rotten, stinking, filthy of a sinner that you are. Because in that doing that, uh, we try to build ourselves up and make ourselves look better, which they really don't. Amen. But out of a heart of love, out of a heart of compassion, out of a heart of genuine concern about their well-being and their eternal life, we cry out, repent. Because we love you, not because we want to squash you or hurt you, but because we love you. Is that always received well? No. In fact, the world we live in today, most of the time, is not received well at all. Oh, you old bigoted, judgmental Christian. That word's become a dirty word in public today, and you Christian. One of them fundamentalists. You actually believe what the Bible says. Amen. I sure do. But I also believe that we need to love that's what the bible says well i cry out repent absolutely well i call out sin absolutely why because of love jesus loved now it was a prayer again in first thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12 the prayer here was that you may in the lord that the Lord, uh, and may the Lord cause you to increase that you grow in that love so when you first get saved you might not have a whole lot of love but you have some love and you need to increase in that you need to grow in that I need to increase in it I need to grow in that that you may abound you know that word abound is an interesting word right there that word abound. If we look at that word. What does it mean? If you're abounding in something, that means you have more of it than what you need for yourself. <laughs> you have an abundance of it. You are overflowing in it. Paul wanted the Christians of First Thessalonica to, or not First Thessalonica. Thessalonica, to abound in that love. The overflow in it where you had so much of it you couldn't just take it for yourself. You had to give it away. Amen? You know, it's interesting. God always does that. You know, God always overblesses us. See, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you in which you cannot receive. In other words, it's too big for you, so what do you do, go build bigger barns? No, Jesus told us not to do that. Then we turn around and we be a blessing to others, and we do that with love. With every blessing that we receive, especially with love. As the praise team comes up this way, you know, sometimes that love isn't always easy. That love's challenging. You know, when we look at that love and we recognize, you know what, we have to see past that outward exterior that's on other individuals that they might look rough, they might look gruff, they might look mean, they they, they might look like a a vicious bulldog just staring you in the face, and it, it might be terrifying to express love towards them. Love also causes us to get down in the trenches. And you know what happens when we get down in the trenches? We get dirty. Matter of fact, I got to meet the pastor of, uh, oh, now I forgot the name of the church. Had it written down in my tablet there, but I've closed my tablet now. The one that's made all, the church that's made all of the movies, the uh, uh, Facing the Giants and uh, Sherwood, Sherwood Baptist Church in Rome, Georgia. I remember where they're at, but I can't remember their name, but Sherwood Baptist Church in Rome, Georgia. I had a chance to meet that pastor, I had a chance to listen to him preach at a Bible conference. Yeah, he said something that really struck me. He said people come from all over the world to visit their church because they make those movies. Now they're a well-known church and people come to that church. They expect to see you know this real fancy church, this real elaborate church. And he says when they come, they're always kind of a little bit disappointed because it's messy they well, got kids running around all over the place. They've got rough individuals running around all over the place. They've got people making a mess. And he said, you know what? Ministry's messy. Amen? Praise God for kids that mess stuff up. Amen? Praise God for that. True ministry is messy. Not just in here, but out there. Trying, it's difficult. But oh, praise God, isn't it worth it? Amen? Isn't it worth it? You see souls saved. You see lives changed. You see families restored. You see God doing a mighty work and the lives of individuals. Just one quick story, and then we'll close in this. Sorry I invited y'all up so soon. But I was out in the trailer park years ago doing some ministry in this trailer park. Saw this Spanish fellow. He was big. He had muscles on top of muscles. He had tattoos from head to toe. And he was carrying a machete that was about that long. God just spoke to my heart. Go up and start talking to him. And I did. He invited me into his trailer and I went up in there. The rest of the church was still out in the middle of the courtyard area. They saw me go in there and they were concerned about him. None of them came to check on me though. <laughs> I was in there a long time, witnessing, sharing the gospel. with. Them. Came to find out that he was high up in the Mexican mafia. He was a bad dude. He was a scary dude. He told me some things that he has done and participated in, and I felt like saying, I don't want to be a witness. I don't want to hear anymore." more. He's passed on now. But that was a saved man when he died. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he got on fire for Jesus. Those initial conversations, I'm going to be honest, was a little sketchy. (laughs) They were a little scary. But praise God that God got a hold of his life and transformed him before it was everlasting too late. Love does that. Amen? Let's be the men and women of God that love. I praise God this is a loving church. I praise God for the work that you do and the effort that you do. But It takes every single one of us, every single moment, every single day, whether we're in here or whether we're out there. Let's love, let's increase in it, let's abound in it. As we continue on with this invitation, everybody stand. The only way that you could have that kind of love, friend, the only way is if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Are you saved today? Do you truly know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and He's living within you? Is that fruit being evident within your life? If not, come today and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I don't even know what to do. Come talk to me. I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. You just need to put your faith in Jesus and I'll lead you in that. Amen? Maybe you're here today and you know you're a Christian, but you know you're not where you ought to be in that walk of love. Pray that God would increase you in that. Pray that you would abound all the more. And let's pray for one another as well.